return microphone on, Claire. <laughs> it's on. Hello, everybody. Oh, We've hello. made hello. I was I was tricking you. We've made three hundred, Claire. Yay! I know. Unbelievable. Our three hundredth Talking Flutes podcast. With me, the old flutey tooty geezer, who plays on a, a very old silver flute, and the one and only Claire Southworth, who plays on a platinum with 14 carat mechanism. Just goes to show who's the better and more accomplished player, doesn't it, Claire? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we made it. Gosh, who would have thought all those years ago? Yes, it's quite something. We started the podcast because as a result of me not being able to play anymore. And you threw me a lifeline via Trevor James Flutes with an idea of recording podcasts. And, you know, I wasn't even sure of the relevance of podcasts at the start. I'd never really listened to any. I'm now a convert. I listen to a podcast every night before I go to sleep. I love them. Absolutely love them. How about you? No. I spend too long. Every week we, we have a new one going out live, don't we? And you don't just record it and then just throw it out. There's a lot you have to do in post to balance up and get rid of little teeny teeny bits. So, I, yeah, I listen to the Diary of a CEO and I might li- listen to some meditation-type things, but apart from that, no, I don't. But let's go back. Let's sort of channel all the way back to the beginning. I was messing around with 10 or 11 years ago. I was just throwing rubbish up on the podcast channel, as it was then, and it was getting, seemed to get a lot of traction. And I did one about, this was probably about 13 years ago for April Fool's, and it was just a three-minute audio, and it sort of crashed everything. And it was about the popularity of piccolo players or the non-popularity of piccolo players. And the best thing that could ever happen is that the piccolo player would get a lift home after the concert in... A, a motorbike with, you know, the sidecar at the side. Yeah. And that sidecar would have a self-releasing mechanism, you know, just just to allow the piccolo player just to feel a bit more comfortable and not at the total behest of the motorcyclist, who happens probably to be a brass player anyway. Anyway, the motorbike's disappearing off into the countryside and they come to a big mountain. It goes up a mountain, round a corner, and the motorcyclist decides to do what everybody wants to do with a piccolo player. He releases the sidecar and off into the ether goes the piccolo player. It was how to get rid of a piccolo players in one easy movement. And that <laughs> and that sort of did really, really well in April, fall in 2010. And then I didn't really do much, really, until we met up and you've been diagnosed. With, actually, I'm not going to say what you've been diagnosed. Well, I'll let you say that, Claire, because at the time you were Professor of Flute at the Royal Academy of Music and really, really busy as an accomplished performer and an author and a writer. And then one day something happened. Yeah, I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease, which we've talked about before, mm. which is an inner ear problem, which meant that I thought I had an ear infection. I couldn't hear properly. I couldn't hear the pitch. The sound of the flute hurt my ear. And unfortunately, it kept going. It didn't stop. So I um, found out I'd developed an atypical version of Meniere's. I remember telling you, because I was, you know, you very kindly sponsored me for quite a number of years. So I remember saying, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, JP, but I've got to stop now. And you said, well, let me go away and think about this because maybe we don't want to lose you just yet. And you came up with the idea of doing podcasts. And then 
we thought of a name, Talking Flutes, and and here we are, 300 later. Amazing. <laughs> I remember coming down to you, has, has it always been you in Hove or were you in Chipperfield when we started? Yes. Always in Hove. Always here at Hove, yeah. I remember coming down and we spoke about it and our goal was to get to 10, wasn't it? Something like that. We had we had no idea, <laughs> you know, what, what was going to happen. As I said, I didn't even know the, the relevance of pods. I remember the first few. It was daunting. Mm. New experience. And I now know that it was, it felt, it was actually quite formal, a little bit stilted. And now it's, it feels a bit more natural and relaxed now because you sort of learn how to chat as it goes on. So it's it's been a, a learning curve I think for both of us, as we've gone through it. Well, especially for me, because I've learned how to listen rather than just talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then we get to 50 and then you're thinking, well, how do we get so much content? Because 50 pods on talking flutes is a lot. But over the years, we've been blessed with some of the greatest flute playing minds of all time, really, that have been guests on this channel. I know. Well, I must say I'm quite amazed at diversity of our interviewees and surprised how keen everyone's been to take part, from the Galways to my golf professional to my son Joe, the psychiatrist. We've had such a good mixture of chats and then, but also then technical help as well. I think it's been a really good, healthy mix. I mean, when you're talking to someone... Like like we're doing now, you've got someone to, to bounce off ideas, which makes it very much easier. But I've also done ones where I've just on my own, as you have as well. And that's also has its place in this sort of forum, if you like. Yeah, it's quite hard, isn't it, when you're doing your own? And that's why I've sort of deviated off a little, because I think when you get to 300, if we'd always been talking about flutes and flute tips and flutes hints and continue to interview people, then I, what I didn't want it to do was to get a bit samey. So I've gone off into sort of the more bite size, which is the just the small sort of, we're talking about creative visualisation and relaxation and, and that stuff. And I've left the sort of more formal stuff to you. And say over the years, you've had Gareth Davis, we've had Jasmine Choi, we've had Paul Edmund Davis, we've had so many really, really lovely people on. Uh, with Sam Bustaney stands out, for his podcast, because you recorded those very close to when we started podcasting. Mm. And then yep. after we get to, got to 50, I realised that people weren't looking back to earlier pods when they were asking for someone like Wisham. When we get to 100, obviously, these are even further back. And we redid Wisham and got more downloads because we only measure downloads, not streams. And it's quite strange when you sort of rejig something that it comes back to people's attention because people that are joining this podcast now aren't necessarily going to go back to pod one, are they? Because that's a long way back. Yeah, which is a shame because it's all relevant. It didn't matter that we redid Wiesam's podcast years later because everything he says is so relevant to the flute player of today. Our listeners are a mixture, aren't they, of enthusiastic amateurs to the top professionals. And I feel that we've managed to find subject matter and guests that are of interest to this big range of people that we're calling for. So as you said, we've had 
Louisam and Gareth Davis and the Galways, Sue Milan. But the one that sort of sticks out for me is Atara's. I was going to mention Atara purely because you did Atara. You did a couple with Atara early on in the cycle. And then Atara reached out to you not so long ago. It was probably quite a long time, probably a year ago, saying that she only had a week to go because she was seriously ill. But she wanted to do a podcast with you and she wanted to get things off her chest. And that podcast jumps out at me as being a raw but really sort of liberating discussion with her. Yes, I think we should really replay that one again because it was such an important one. Yes, she was very ill in the summer of the year before last. And we talked about doing another one. And I said, oh, I'm I'm away for the next few weeks. I'll, I'll be in touch when I get back. And she said, don't leave it too long. You know, which made me think, oh, things are definitely not going well. So we recorded her podcast three weeks before she died. And at that time, she was exhausted, feeling terribly ill. And yet the energy she has during that podcast is just simply amazing. But what was important is that she talked about what was important for her and important for flute playing or music making sort of going forward. And that the most important thing is the music, what you do with the music. It's not about how fast you play, how loud you play, how much you move. It's about making music, playing beautiful phrases. And it's just music, music, music. There are a lot of very important points from that particular podcast. And I feel very proud about that because she spoke so honestly and talked about honesty in music. You know, it just made me realise now that I need to go back and listen to it again. Very important podcast. The really defining moment was the fact that she knew she didn't have long left. It was a matter of days. And when you've got that not that long left you don't sort of crave the things that you think you crave in life. The stuff that's really important and that you're really passionate about become central to your whole being. And that podcast was all about saying, you can do what you want, but ultimately it's about the communication between you and the audience. Play fast, play fast, but you're not going to turn me on. And ultimately the audience need to be affected emotionally. But also how hard it was for her as a woman in that man's world. And she managed to get it all out. And it was, as you say, with this energy that was underlying her illness. Yeah, because her daughter told me afterwards that when we'd finished the podcast, she could barely walk. She was just so exhausted. She just found an energy. I don't know how she did that. So as you know, we're planning a short hiatus purely just to try and rejuvenate our inner selves and our minds because we've been doing this for nearly seven years every week. No breaks. And we're not actually not, we're not actually not, that doesn't make sense, does it? We're not stopping Talking Flute podcast, but what we're going to be doing is putting out on the socials and on the web people to say which episodes they would like to listen to. And I'm going to put up this big list and then get people to choose which ones they want to re-listen to. I'll remaster them. So I'll master them with, obviously, podcasting stuff has come a long way since we started this all those years Mm -hmm. ago in a little tiny MP3. And I'll remaster it and we'll put it out as a new pod. And that will enable us to have a few months of just going, ah, now what can we talk about of this sideways blowing tube? Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Thing to think, we've had such a, a wonderful mix of chats with various people 
and ones just on technique and all genres of music, world music. You've interviewed lots of people playing South American music, jazz, Latin, which is so interesting. And I've done, I suppose, the more serious interviews, if you want to call them that. But I've also had things like very interesting talks with people like Liz Walker. Yeah. And it's been wonderful with Liz because we can just talk about ideas and techniques and bounce ideas off each other. And I've learned that this is a very important feature for a lot of people who are, who are listening because I'll say, you know, I might do this to get over this technique. And Liz goes, oh, do you? I don't know that one, but I do this one. And it's lovely. It becomes a much more informal chat. And that's fantastic. And, and also other sort of slightly more bizarre ones, like I said earlier, I, I talked with my golf professional and it was about teaching. And it's amazing how teaching sort of practices are so similar with a practical activity. It doesn't matter whether it's golf or tennis or flute or piano. It's There are lots of similarities which have really important views and ideas to impart to, to our listeners. And then the other thing that we, we haven't mentioned is that Talking Flutes has become sort of, because of our audience numbers, it's become a great platform for people to promote their concerts, their courses, their other music and events. So it's become a way of promoting and exposing what they're doing to a really wide audience. Yeah, six and a half years of this. So yeah, Liz is on the list anyway, because yours and Liz's conversations always spike the analytics there's something really sort of fun about that because it's impossible to listen to you two chatting without sort of taking a nugget. You flute players taking a little nugget. Oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, Claire's saying that and Liz saying, and Liz is a, such a brilliant player and such a wonderful teacher and academic and says, oh, I didn't know that. So you're sort of, as you say, bouncing off each other. Yeah. And the other thing you've just reminded me, the other thing that we have done a lot of is answer questions oh, yeah. from yeah. our listeners. And... That's been fantastic. So a lot of the times that we chat together, we've been answering questions. And that's, again, questions that can help lots and lots of other players, not just the person who's written in the question. And it's made us think a little bit as well about how to explain things. It's made you think, because I just, I, I never, <laughs> I never proffer that type of advice. <laughs> as we once said to me, you're a very nice flute player, but you're not a great one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's a bit of a put down, isn't it? No, I mean, when someone like Wib says that to you, it's... So I always, always defer to you. I will come in with anything that I perceive is relevant, but I would never go against anything you said purely because um, I'm scared of you and I've always been scared of you. <laughs> so what have you got planned for these coming months? The last podcast, if you remember, I mentioned about the fact that I've been... I'm so grateful that I've had such a good career mm. and that I wanted to try and give something back and I offered myself as a as a mentor for anyone who might want to ask anything really and I've had so many people oh gosh get it. <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's great I've really enjoyed it thanks to covid we've got zoom because I never knew about zoom before covid and we started with zoom because we had to teach via zoom when we couldn't actually meet up with people it's with the people who have written in to ask if I can help them. I've been doing Zoom calls or just emails and such a range of questions or how to sort of deal with various points of flute technique. It's been great. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, oh, well, being a musician and being an instrumentalist, 
It's not just picking up the instrument and just honking it, as I call it, honking, playing it. There are so many variables and there's so many things that can go wrong and it also depends how you feel, how your lips are. There's just so many components in it. And it doesn't matter at what standard you are, those little components can be fractured every now and then and then you don't know where that is. And that is why we've covered so many of these little areas that are important to all flute players, whether you're a beginner or a professional. And that's a very important point is that... I've always said, I mean, I did flute courses for, I forget how many years, many, 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 many years. One of the things I always advertised was that I was very happy to teach all ages, all abilities, because it doesn't matter what level you're at, you can learn something. And quite often, if you're a high level, you can learn something from a lower level. There's always something you can learn, and you learn a lot by listening, not necessarily playing all the time. So all ages, all abilities, it's really a key component. And I remember one of the questions that came in, it was a long time ago now, one of my favourite questions, was somebody didn't understand the terminology tonal colours. I made a point that, well, perhaps you should use chocolate because we, we all, we've all we got different tastes of chocolate, you know, chocolate of 80% and milk chocolate and white chocolate and dark chocolate. But that was a very fair point, wasn't it, is that the terminology, we've got to be very careful in how we term tonal colours because we all feel and see and smell differently, don't we? Yeah, colour is a bit abstract. So I also use food analogy mm. or texture. Talk about a, a tone which might be yellow in colour, which might be maybe it's a white chocolate mousse, maybe it's a pale custard. Who knows? We change the terminology in order to help someone understand. And it doesn't matter what it is, as long as they can change something within their sound because of how you've put it across. Okay, um, so um, three piccolos playing in unison, top F. Can you hear that? Can you visualise it? To me, it's like rubbing your nails down a blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> so you get that, don't you? You would get that because that's a visual analogy and an oral analogy to something that you, yeah. ah, and it sort of makes you go, eh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to hear it, though. Thanks, JP. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing some exercise classes last week. I was teaching and um, I was getting somebody to play. But at the same time, I was getting to visualise eating a lemon. I was really wanted to know whether the visual aspect would take over from all the other sides. So I was getting them to play a little, I think it was Foray Pavan or no Foray Sicilienne. And then I was getting at the same time to actually think about smelling the lemon and then the lemon coming up to their mouth. And they ended up over-salivating. It was amazing. <laughs> Visual imagery is more powerful than people realise. Yeah. And if I, if I had a, an orchestral career now, I know what I'd be doing. I'd be t- getting bits of lemon and lime and I'd be sticking them in my pocket. And then when the person next to me in the next chair was starting to play and I'd stick it in front of their um, nose. Well... I'm glad I'm not sitting next to you, JP. So what have you got coming up this summer? Are you doing anything or are you just playing no, golf? I've got a little bit of golf, JP, just a little bit of golf. I'm trying to do a bit more writing. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to sort of put down ideas of, of about a book for teachers. So it's growing. So we will see how that, how that goes. And, um, yeah, that should keep me quite busy, I think. How about you? Oh, nothing. Just carry on doing what I'm doing, really, which is probably basically nothing, as everybody would say. No, we just got a busy year with new products and stuff. So and carry on doing the editing of these and also the remastering of those we're going to repeat and getting involved with AI. I'm fascinated and I love working with AI. So I'm just going to keep my brain cells going whilst 
I'm still able to. Uh, so one, one question I'd like to ask you, and you're one of the best people to answer this, is overcoming adversity, right? You had that moment when you couldn't play anymore. And bearing in mind that is your whole life up till then has been doing what you're doing. It happens a lot with, with other people is that something will happen that will mean they can't do something. They can't play their flute. It, maybe they break their arm. It, what is the process? I know you can't go into depth about it because it would be a podcast in itself, but how would you help or navigate somebody through that form of adversity where they can't do something they used to be able to do and passionately? Yeah. Well, you have to sort of say to yourself, well, I'm not able to do something in the, the way I've always done it. And either you hide yourself away and, and get thoroughly sort of low and depressed about it, or you try and find a different route. Because there, there is no answer. You can't, you know, you've come to the end of the road for the, what you've always done. That's what happened to me. End of the road. So for me, I felt I still had an awful lot to give. And that's the same. Everyone's got something to offer. So you find another route. So my route was I wrote more books. We've done our podcasts. It's made me think about, you know, when I've talked about various technical things, it's made me think about how to get that across on a podcast, how to talk about interpretation of pieces in a way that's not too superficial, but gives an idea of how to get started on certain pieces. But you have to find a different path and put all your energies into that. I mean, the same happens in sport. You know, you, you're always reading of some footballer or rugby player that's that's had a, you know, a career-ending injury, and they have to find a different... Same thing, they have to find a different route, and that's what you have to do. So in a way, it makes you stronger, because, I mean, for me, the option wasn't going away and hiding. For me, what am I going to do now? And think And think of something. That's what's happened. So it's not I'm not saying it's easy. It sounds easy. It wasn't easy at all. But I'm very proud of what I've done since I couldn't play the flute. You know, there's a lot of really good things that have come as a result of me not playing. So I can only be very grateful. Well, you've always been a very positive person. And as you say, we met up just after you've been diagnosed with this. And that was very hard for you at the time because of the tinnitus that was invading the whole of your space and also the fact that it was making you dizzy. But even then, you were wanting to look at doing things. You weren't down, but you weren't down. And over the period of weeks, you suddenly sort of went up like this. Your golf took off a different level. And this positivity came through. And our podcasts, I think, have been as a result of... Because let's face it, if you've still been a professor at the Royal Academy of Music in London, we wouldn't be doing as many as we were doing because you're so busy. So I think it all started from that one episode. I wouldn't have been doing this by myself. And I think as a partnership, we bring very different sides to it. I always refer to you on the, the real flute playing stuff, and I do the sort of more lighthearted stuff. But from adversity comes strength. So thank you being my co-conspirator in these audio fests. And we don't know how long it's going to keep going, do we? But we'll just keep ploughing on and we'll put up a list for people to choose which guests they'd like to hear again. 
and then we'll make an announcement when we're coming back to do more live. We, I think we might even come back and start doing live ones, which would be very interesting because we haven't done those before, have we? No. And if you think that's terrifying, just doing a podcast into a microphone, can you imagine actually going out live rather than having post-production? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And, yeah, it's been a very educational few years. You know, we've both learnt a lot and I think the podcasts I've done with you have been fantastic. They've been very, I think, engaging, very interesting, very enjoyable. And I hope we're going to do plenty more. And it, it helps with a few questions coming in. But, yeah, let's keep going. So after 300 podcasts, I'd like to say thank you not only to Claire, but more importantly to everybody who listens. I know I've jokingly said over the last few years, please stop listening, because as soon as you stop listening, we can stop doing it. And the numbers seem to grow. But thank you all so much. And I'm, I'm sure Claire would agree that without our listeners, we wouldn't have got to 50, let alone 100, and then certainly not to 300. Absolutely. No, the listeners are what keeps us coming back, JP. We keep, you keep telling me, oh, we've had wonderful numbers for the last podcast and you, it gets us energised to do another one. And we have lovely comments and questions coming through. And so the only thing is, if you're listening and you think we can do something that we haven't done before, then write in and let us know. We're happy to hear lots of ideas. We want to keep being creative because, as I've said before, as long as you're being creative, that's all you need to be. That's what's important. And that's the essence of talking flutes, because ultimately, when you play the flute, you're being creative. Absolutely. Claire, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. And I raise my red cup of coffee to you. I raise my mug of tea to you. Happy 300th, everybody. Back again next week. I don't know what's on next week, but back next week. Bye, Claire. Thanks, Bye. <laughs> Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.